The Education Apple, Episode 10, recorded on January 25th, 2013. Welcome to The Education Apple. This is Bill Brazil, your host. And this is the show that discusses Apple technology in the formal classroom as well as in the classroom of our daily lives. So welcome back in. Um, We've got a lot to discuss today and a lot of interesting things, I believe. And uh, we've got our uh, cast of characters back with us again this week, and that includes Barrett Mossbacker, superintendent of Briarwood Christian School. Good to have you with us tonight, Barrett. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Bill. Good to be with you and good to be with Rick. Welcome, gentlemen. Great. Thank you. And uh, Rick Stores, who is the founder and lead trainer of the Mac Instructor, he is with us again this evening. Uh, Rick, you doing all right today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Well, it's been, uh, uh, we took a extra week off um, since our last uh, program, and a lot has transpired, and uh I think we might as well just kind of jump into it since there's a lot of things to talk about and wanted to do um, uh, kind of a review, a weekend review, which we like to do, kind of see what has happened uh, in the uh, technology world in the past uh, week or two. But um, I also ran across uh, some numbers that are more of a review of 2012 that I thought would be uh, interesting to kind of discuss and kick around. There's a lot of statistics. I'm a I'm a math guy, so I certainly like statistics, and um, there are a number of uh, folks out there that have gathered a lot of uh, information uh, from the Internet and summarized it, and it's kind of eye-opening when you start to look at it and think about the impact that uh, the Internet is having and uh, how it relates to us. So um, the first statistic that I found was that uh, over uh, during the year of 2012, there were uh, 144 billion emails uh, per day, and this is a worldwide um, statistic, but the total email traffic per day was 144 billion emails, and sometimes I think I have that many in my inbox just myself, <laughs> but uh, that's uh, a pretty big number, isn't it? What do y'all think about that? It's it's staggering. I mean, absolutely staggering. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I, I think it's a constant challenge to manage your inbox well. Yeah, it does. And there's some new. Uh, there's always new uh, little tips and tricks and applications that are coming out um, to kind of help with that and make that a more streamlined process. And there was one that uh, I've seen some advertisement on, but it hasn't been made available yet. But uh, I'm kind of curious uh, when it comes out. I forget what the name of it is, but it's supposed to be a pretty simplistic way to um, manage your, your email, and uh, we'll see if that really happens. But, you know, uh, another interesting part to the email thing is that um, almost 70% of email traffic is considered to be spam, and um, <laughs> that's that's not too surprising either, but... When you think that, you know, 70%, that's a big number of everything that comes into us that uh, we still have to deal with. And, um, you know, if we don't have something automatically uh, moving all that to the side, it just kind of clogs up our our inbox. So um, that is uh, 
kind of the uh, summary of email, and so that's not real surprising, but it is kind of eye-opening. Uh, the next thing I saw was um, 300 or 634 million websites as of uh, last December. That was the number of websites that are out on the internet, and I guess that represents a lot of information. Now, of course, all those websites are uh, not necessarily that great. I think we've all seen some websites that um, don't really need to be out on the internet per se, and <laughs> don't necessarily um, have a whole lot to offer. But you know, that's just kind of uh, indicative, I guess, though, of how easy it is to get an, a website up and running these days. And um, uh, there, there are a lot of, of good sites, obviously, as well. So um, it's just a lot, a lot of information out there, whether it's good or bad. Um, now, here was a good one related to uh, websites and and domains in particular. Um, y'all are probably looking at the notes, so I can't uh, I can't surprise you <laughs> with this one. <laughs> but uh, investing.com, I would have asked you what. Uh, uh, what you thought the price of that particular domain is. You know, a lot of domains are are uh, secured, and people try to sell those and, and get a premium for domain names if they don't really want them or don't need them for their own website. Um, but investing.com is the most expensive domain that's out there or that was sold last year, uh, and it was sold for $2.45 million dollars. So somebody uh, made a nice little pro- profit off of that one. Somebody was thinking. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, have y'all ever done that? Have y'all ever grabbed uh, any domains just for the purpose of thinking, um, you know, one of these days this might be something somebody else wants? Well, I had Apple.com, but I have a non-disclosure agreement <laughs> with Apple about how much I had to sell it oh, for. Okay, so. so you you're one of those guys. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> yeah, I've. Uh, I have actually grabbed a few domains, um, but unfortunately, nobody uh, really wants those domains. <laughs> I didn't didn't make any money put, off hey, of Bill, those. You can put them on eBay. Yeah, that's that's possible. But again, I don't know if anybody would really want them. But I did have a friend that um, he made two or three thousand dollars off a domain name, um, and I can't remember what it was at this point. But you know, somebody just called him out of the blue and said. Uh, you know, I see you own this domain, and uh, what would you be willing to to sell it for? And so he made a few thousand dollars off of it. So, um, but uh, no such luck for myself. So, um, all right, the uh, the number of internet users worldwide two point four billion. Um, what's the total? I don't even know what the total. What's the total population of the uh, the world? Do y'all. Have that off your off the tip of your tongue. You probably find it in a couple seconds. But yeah, I'm going to Google it. Yeah, Google <laughs> it. It keeps changing. <laughs> Google it and see where, where that is. But I imagine that's uh, uh, Google six point nine seven. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Rick. Oh no, you know you had it. Good job. Well, I've got uh, six uh, six billion nine hundred seventy three million seven hundred thirty eight thousand four hundred thirty three. Ah, as okay. Of, as of 2011. Okay. So, yeah. Last number I'm looking at, at least. Yeah. Okay. Well, so it's uh, one third of it, of the population, I guess, of the world basically is is on the internet. Um, wow! So that's a lot of people. And in uh, in North America, that number is two hundred and seventy four million. So um, 
That's uh, now we in in the U.S. are we at about three hundred between three and four hundred million? Isn't that I've right? heard around three fifty, give or take. Yeah, yeah. So we're a little bit higher percentage, which I guess isn't surprising um, as far as the number of users. But uh, lots of people, lots of people. Now this was a little surprising to me. The um, number of monthly posts uh, on Facebook, the number of Facebook pages. Um, the leading country is Brazil, which uh, I wouldn't probably have guessed that. But uh, they have uh, 85,962 monthly posts on Facebook. So they are the leader, most active country for some reason. I don't know. Do you all have any ideas why that might be? Not not a clue. Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. know. I don't either. But <clears throat> as far as um, the active... Uh, users on Facebook as of last October that number passed 1 billion and uh, put that in relation to Twitter as of December they had 200 million so Facebook definitely has a jump on Twitter um, which I guess Facebook has been around a little bit longer than Twitter uh, so maybe that's not real surprising but to me I think face I mean I think Twitter is a little bit easier to get into than Facebook, or it's not as big of a commitment, at least, as uh, putting together a Facebook page. Now, maybe the the younger generation would uh, differ with me on that. I don't know, but um, I, I I think Twitter kind of has a little more momentum than Facebook does right now. Would y'all agree with that, or uh, how do y'all kind of read that? Uh, my personal thought is that the usage case is so much different. Uh, for example, with Twitter, uh, I have almost no personal affiliation with anyone that I follow. I follow it just to get good information or some research or something of that nature, whereas Facebook, I have limited myself to I think I have maybe 20 friends on Facebook. I mean, I get a lot more invitations than that, so you don't have to feel too sorry for me, but I only you know, I only have <laughs> yeah. about 17 or 19 or so. Uh, and so it's just people I actually have physical relationships with in some fashion or other. Right. And so I think that's part of the issue. Right. Could be. And, and I kind of follow that same approach. I've limited my Facebook or my personal Facebook just to family related, um, That's you know, smart. some extended family, but but not not too large of a number. And then I do have an external page which is um, more business related, so I tried to segment it that way. Um, but I don't I don't spend a lot of time or effort on Facebook. I probably put a little bit more into. Uh, Twitter than I do Facebook. So yeah, Bill, th- th- if you don't mind, let me give a segue here and a yeah. question about Facebook. While we're at it, just real quick, uh, you got two more statistics there. They're really quite surprising to me. Somewhat is the average age of the uh, Facebook user and Twitter user. I wouldn't have expected it had been quite that old. Um, but I'm wondering what your initial thoughts or Rick's thoughts are uh, regarding uh, Facebook's announcement on the social graph and how that might affect your usage of Facebook. Yeah, I'll uh well I'll just I'll throw those ages out there. The the forty point five uh years old is the average age of Facebook user and uh thirty seven point three years of age for Twitter users. So Twitter is a little bit um That that's the hip group, right? Yeah, yeah, that's probably a little <laughs> a little more of that. But um I don't know, I'm gonna let uh Rick address that if he if he can, just to kinda give his take on on that and what uh, Barrett just asked. 
Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I'm not too sure what the social graph is. Um, I, uh, I, I deactivated my Facebook account a couple months ago. Uh, so I, I just quite honestly haven't been. And, and that might be why the, the average age of Facebook is, I mean, I'm, I'm only 30. I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't joke and say that's why the average age of Facebook has gone up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the social graph is. Um, could you clue me in a little bit? Well, briefly, it's the new search feature that uh, Facebook is rolling out, and the gist of it is that you can now do quote-unquote natural language searches, and it will – Facebook will ostensibly, using the algorithms, pull up relevant friends and status reports, etc., that match your query. So, for example, if you did a search that said – uh, do a search for my friends who live on the West Coast who like sushi or something, mm-hmm. and it will pull up all of those individuals and potentially you know their uh, their music uh, likes, their uh, their locations, things like that. It's really uh, intriguing on one hand, but potentially problematic on the other. So does does that mean that if one of my friends on Facebook, if if they're having a computer problem and they type in a computer question, they're Facebook is going to tell them to ask me. Potentially, yes. I think that's the idea behind it. That it's a that's personal, <laughs> yeah, a personal social graph um, that will pull up all the information you have made available uh, and connect the dots. In effect, Bill, you may have read some on this. I certainly don't. Uh, I want to speak with some accuracy here, but that's my layman's understanding of this. Yeah, and I haven't uh, spent a whole lot of time looking at it. Yet, but um, I think I think you're right from what I have uh, been able to gather so far. You know that along with the um, uh, uh, what's it called Google Now that is mm-hmm. trying to do not that exact same thing, but a similar thing in terms of uh, just knowing what our uh, personal activities, likes, uh, daily routine is, and trying to anticipate that and providing us information related to that. I mean, you know, we're definitely moving to another stage of uh, just the um, information age with all the information that's out there, being able to capture that and use that to anticipate needs. Um, And you're right, that can be both good and bad, and that probably is going to have an impact on uh, at least some people how much information they really make available and make public because up to this point we really haven't probably thought a whole lot about it yet um but as it starts to impact us in you know these external ways uh, more intrusive ways um we may make more of an effort to pull back a little bit cuz um it certainly can um be a bit overwhelming if if we're not careful in terms of the information that we make available and make public. You know, that social graph kind of reminds me how I use Twitter. Um, If I ever, you know, whenever I have a question, I'm finding now that I usually pose the question to Twitter before I even do a Google search for it. Um, And that's just because I, I know that the people who I follow, who follow me, are kind of interested in the same things. And so... You know, say for example, I've got a, an app that I'm running on my iPad and it just keeps crashing when I do a certain thing. I'll pose the question on Twitter and then usually get a, a pretty accurate response, you know, within the next, you know, 15 minutes or so. 
as opposed to me actually spending that 15 minutes really digging through Google or whatever for the answer. Um, but then also, you know, that's that's for like a factual thing. But then even just for matters of opinion, like if if my wife and I are about to go out, you know, for a movie, I'll usually post online, you know, hey, what what are some good movies that are out there? Um, and then within a couple minutes, usually I'll I'll get replies back on um, just good movies that some of my friends have seen. So it, well, I don't yeah, know, kind of one sounds like uh, Facebook is sort of going in that direction, maybe. Yeah, that's exactly what it does. In fact, they, they, uh, they've often used restaurants or movies as illustrations of it. But the thing is, you don't have to ask those friends. It will pull up this information based upon what your friends have liked, uh, their geolocation information that's been posted perhaps, uh, any status updates they've put on there. So oh. it, it's without permission. It just basically is pulling up that information. So it, it's kind of kind of as if... I'm asking the question, and then it goes and sees if my friends maybe yeah. had had inadvertently answered that in the past. Oh yeah, it's going to pull up a lot of information that you may wow. not have intended just to make generally available. Uh, now I'm so benign with my usage that I don't care if they looked at every post I have, frankly. But it <laughs> does raise some significant, um, I guess, just general privacy issues. Even though the information may be benign. Right. Still, something queasy about the notion that just anyone in the world, literally, could do a search, and my name, my information, my status information would come up. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and the thing too is like, my my opinions change pretty often. I mean, and and I, you know, it make, kind of makes me think of teenagers who use Facebook and whatever, and their opinions probably change on whether or not a movie is good, just kind of depending on what they ate for dinner the last day or what their friend said um, yeah right yeah and so i don't know i mean it's obviously it shouldn't be used for like factual you know research or whatever but mm -hmm. you know if i i don't want someone to do a search for something and then all of a sudden some stupid thing that i said you know eight years ago on facebook pops up mm-hmm yeah. yeah. Well, we're definitely gonna definitely got to be a little more mindful of all that because, you know, oh, this, yeah. this type of thing has been going on uh, for a number of years in business, just from the standpoint of data mining. When you know all these data points are captured for business purposes, then they're able to um, massage and pull out information uh, as they need to as it affects their business. But this has taken it to a a whole different level from a, a social uh, social media standpoint, so it definitely puts a little bit different twist on it. And um, again, we're just going to have to be a little more mindful of of what we do share and how we share it. And um, uh, privacy issues may become uh, a bigger deal than they uh, have been up to this point. So, um, good good uh, thoughts and good discussion around that, though. And uh, we'll have to keep an eye on it, see how it progresses. But what do y'all think about the uh, the average ages there um, with Facebook at about forty and a half and Twitter at thirty seven point three? Is that a little surprising, or um, would you expect that number to be uh, lower just because of uh, you know the, the younger generation uh, you typically think of is hopping on all this technology a lot quicker? But um, maybe they're teaching us old folks. Uh, uh, along along with the ride, what do you think? 
Well, I don't know myself. Uh, my suspicion is that if you're really connecting friends and family, you're naturally going to pull in the parents, the grandparents, you know, the cousins, yeah. the aunts, the uncles, etc. And so that's going to skew those numbers just because of the connectivity that you're going to have by virtue of close relatives and, and family, uh, perhaps extended family. So I suppose in one sense it's not necessarily surprising. And my guess is that younger generations, aside from the Facebook and the connection with family, is probably on Tumblr and some of those other networks, yeah. uh, social networks would be my guess. Rick, you might have a better sense of this. Uh, you know, I, I'd i say most of my clients, the vast majority of my clients are on uh, Facebook. A lot of them have no clue what, what Twitter even is. Um, you know, but, but Facebook, it's... I, I'd say Facebook these days is almost synonymous to even having an email address. Yeah. Um, in fact, yesterday I, I met with a client who's 85 years old, and her daughter bought her an iPad. And one of the six apps that her daughter pre-installed for her was Facebook. And she said, um, or the, you know, the 85-year-old, what she said was that she wants to be on Facebook so that she can see pictures that her family are posting online. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's. I think that's. And that's not the only time I've heard something like that. Usually, you know, Barrett, it's right in line with what you just said. It's I want I want to be in this space because this is where my family is spending time. Yeah, yeah. I think Facebook is is a little more um, understandable to uh, just a um, layperson, whereas Twitter has kind of its own language. Um, you know, once you get in into it a little bit deeper than just throwing a, a message out there because it uh, it definitely has a lot more capabilities to it than, than meets the eye uh, uh, the first time you look at it. So um, that's probably part of it as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I know Facebook, a lot of people that you know are trying to reconnect um, with old classmates and people I hadn't seen in 10, 20, 30 years or whatever. So there's probably a lot of that that uh, is driving those numbers up as well. So... But uh, interesting to think about, and uh, you know, it's certainly something um, that we're dealing with day in and day out. So, next thing was moving into smartphones. Uh, the number of smartphones worldwide is 1.3 billion, and uh, <laughs> that's that's amazing. Of course, uh, uh, Apple has had a big hand in driving those numbers up, and. Um, breaking through some of those barriers but uh, smartphones are pretty much uh, a way of life anymore it's hard to imagine um, getting by without one anymore but uh, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago that we didn't even know what a smartphone was you know um, oh yeah we kept looking for phone booths <laughs> yeah exactly pay phones are a thing of the past <laughs> now um, as a result of of cell phones and smartphones but that's not a bad thing let's see um the and the average uh data per month consumed by a smartphone is 500 meg which um that sounds about right that's probably a little bit higher than i would have guessed but um i think that's uh that's probably a pretty decent number would y'all agree with that i don't uh, I just know because I keep a, a pretty close eye on my usage, especially with my uh, girls and uh, making sure they don't <laughs> drive things through the roof. But um, 
you know, 500 meg isn't isn't uh, isn't that bad, I guess. It probably doesn't take too many pictures or short videos or something YouTube to suck up that 500 megabytes. Yeah, if you're going to start watching uh, movies on your on your cell phone on your smartphone, then that's going to really <laughs> kick that number up. Yeah, but, I'm thinking uh, of those who may be accessing like YouTube and that kind of thing. Yeah, sure, that's uh, that has an impact for sure, and that kind of uh, gets down to a little bit. Um, more information speaking about the YouTube um, and watching videos. There were 4 billion hours of video watched uh, on YouTube per month. So there is a lot of video uh, consumption taking place on the smartphones and over YouTube. Um, so video is a big deal, and there's a lot of it out there. Uh, and then uh, I had another number here. Um, 181.7 million uh, was the total unique viewers of online video uh, during the month of December, and that was in the U.S. So um, there are a lot of eyeballs watching um, video online, um, and a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff out there. There's also a lot of junk, but um, it's amazing what will catch on on the internet and become a uh, overnight sensation. <laughs> But, uh, well, it's a, kind of a good gauge of human nature for good and bad, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah, it is. It it, it <laughs> definitely gives us a a new and different uh, insight into our society for sure, and what people like and and don't like. So, um, okay. Um, well, there were other numbers there as well, but uh, I think uh, if you're interested in more information. Uh, check out the show notes because I've got a link to uh, where all this information came from. And if you are a numbers junkie when it comes to the Internet, you might want to uh, check that out. So um, a lot of good information, a lot of things to kind of make us uh, ponder and think uh, about all this technology and uh, where we are in the middle of it. So I'm going to move now down to our... Uh, our Briarwood Christian School Learning Unleashed update. And um, it's been three weeks since we last talked, and I know that uh, the iPad uh, distribution has taken place. So um, there's, I'm sure, a lot to report from the school, Barrett. So I'm going to let you give us an update there. Well, Bill, just uh, quickly, and Rick, the uh, it's gone extremely well. Uh, the as you would expect, the students have gravitated and adapted to them very quickly. Uh, we when we initially initially handed off the iPads, we had a short training session with the students. They had already had some uh, prior extensive training on the apps, but once they actually got it, we gave them to walk them through the login procedures and just gave them a quick review again. And they just, as you would expect, very naturally took to it. And we've been watching in the classrooms, and they're just taking copious notes with notability in the stylus. Or a few of them have Bluetooth uh, keyboards, so uh, that's not been an issue. And frankly, the teachers are very enthusiastic. Uh, they have responded very positively. Uh, there have been a few glitches here and there. In fact, we found one glitch that showed up 
despite all of our prior testing, and that was that we know, as Bill, as you know, we have a very robust security system on those iPads, and we had tested them in our personal homes. We had tested them in cafes that they could get on the Internet and all that with no problem, uh, notwithstanding the security software. And then as soon as we handed them off to the to the students, they couldn't access their Wi-Fi at home. And uh, so, you Uh-oh. know, uh, despite the best plans, I suppose, uh, but we discovered that uh, apparently the company who provides the security software had made a minor tweak in, at their cloud server uh, side of things, and that was uh, blocking students from accessing internets, uh, uh, Wi-Fi rather, from their homes. But we were able to make a quick fix of that and get that uh, up and running uh, within a day. And uh, so those are the inevitable things that uh, that you're going to encounter that might be somewhat unexpected. Sure. Uh, and I have already surveyed parents. Uh, I haven't analyzed all the survey results just to get their initial impressions and also what they thought was working well and any recommendations they had. And again, I just did that, so I haven't had time yet to uh, analyze those survey results. The other big part of this, though, is just now under development, and that is, of course, as a Christian school, we have a twofold objective here. One is academic and pedagogical, where we're preparing students to use 21st century uh, tools uh, as they prepare to work in the 21st century. But secondly, we have a, a deeper mission, and that is to help our students come to a, a biblical understanding uh, of every aspect of life. We, we refer to that as a biblical worldview, and that includes their approach to technology. And uh, so one of the things we're doing right now is the school board, administration, and others are uh, reading a book called the next, uh, which is titled The Next Story, Life and Faith After the Digital Explosion. Uh, and it outlines the, uh, the very positive aspects of technology as well as some of the downsides of technology, and each chapter has a reflection section on it. And we're going to be developing, uh, in conjunction with our faculty, uh, perhaps maybe in some of our Bible classes, it could be in separate computer courses or a combination of those things, uh, courses or units of study on developing a, a thoughtful approach to technology use as an individual and the use of technology within a culture and how it impacts the individual, how it impacts family and how it impacts the culture, again, both good and bad, so that our students learn to become intelligent, wise users of the technology and not merely proficient users. Um, and so that's that's one of the big initiatives that we have uh, going on in conjunction with our rollout of the laptop, I mean with the iPad program. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's great, and um, you know, it's, it's definitely going to be a, a very advantageous uh, program and, and part to the program. Um, have, I was going to ask you though, have you seen the uh, video teaser for that book, The Next Story? Yes, I okay. have. Yeah, it it's really very well done, and uh, one of the kind of funny lines that's in it, it's only about a minute, minute and a half, but uh, it kind of follows a a man uh, through from getting up in the morning, you know, while he's still in bed, grabbing his his smartphone and all through the day how it's a distraction and um you know how it's just a part of his life and it's hard for him to put it down but one of the lines I think that is really good is he's talking along through the video he says technology allows me to maintain a constant flow of distractions <laughs> yes and uh, and you see it everywhere where and that is that's a sad thing actually sure and uh, so one of the, one of our challenges is, is not to hide the technology not to ignore the technology not to not to demonize the technology but 
let our students know that this is a real danger of the technology, and even as adults, we face the same temptations with it, and we have to become masters of the technology and not allow the technology to master us. Exactly. Uh, and that's just a life skill. It's a discipline. It's a matter of self-control, and all of those are virtuous things in and of themselves that we want to students to apply to their technology use. Sure. Absolutely. Well, a couple other things real quickly on this. Uh, we're also in the process of integrating Edmodo, which is a, a educationally focused social media platform with Google Drive. And that's important. It's a little hard probably for a listener to visualize this, but one of the challenges on an iPad has to do with the workflow in, when it comes to creation uh, document sharing after it's been created. Uh, that's not as easy and as seamless as it might be on a laptop computer. And so one of our challenges has, has been how do you create an effective, efficient workflow where, you know, a teacher might have, oh, depending upon the grade level, 60 to 80 total students in different classes, uh, has to uh, collect digital uh, data from the students in a way that's easy to manage, annotate, grade it, get it back to the students, doing all this digitally, and what, what format, uh, what repository do you use to do that? And uh, we have contracted with another vendor who's worked very closely now with Edmodo and our own systems, and uh, we hope to have a, a complete integrated uh, process in place by late next week, uh, and that will be integrating the Edmodo platform with uh, Google Drive. Um, so students can share all their work with teachers, vice versa, and eliminate as many clicks and, uh, and that kind of thing as possible. Yeah, I think that would be great. Um, so, so it's going to basically be a sharing platform that they can just work on uh, documents back and forth seamlessly and um, not have to spend too much time managing that. that that's the basic idea there. It is, but on top of that, it also includes social media communication within a walled garden. So you can use a social media platform like Facebook. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a, like a Facebook design uh, for communication between teachers and students. It's all monitored. It's all gardened off, and so it's very protective. They also can message one or another or the entire group or an entire class. Uh, they can collaborate on documents on it. They have a calendar built in, uh, a grading system built into it. And so really, it, it's got immense potential, and we think it's going to be a great platform to help our students uh, to use the uh, devices very efficiently. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like they may be spending a lot of time in that piece of it, and uh, that'd be great if they can do that much of it in one within one um, application there. Yeah, but unlike Facebook, I think our average user age will be about thirteen. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, bring the bring the numbers down uh, there a little bit. All right. So those are probably the main thing. Uh, we're also installing one other piece of uh, software called uh, Reflector, and essentially it's a remote. Uh, it, it connects the our smart boards that we have in all of our classrooms with the computer and with the iPad, so that a teacher can just hold the iPad and manipulate the smart board, annotate keynotes, presentations, everything, all from the iPad. Walk around the room and basically be completely mobile within the classroom and not be stuck at the front uh, or on a computer. So uh, we we think that's going to be a great benefit as well oh yeah i would think so and are you using um the apple tv piece of it connected to the uh, we are yeah, we are we, we've got uh -huh. multiple classrooms that are testing uh apple tv we're we don't want to deploy that through all of our classrooms to have tested it and see uh, what works and what does not work but my anticipation is at minimum we'll probably have apple tvs in almost all classrooms 
they may be a supplement in some cases to the smart boards. In other places, I think they'll end up being a replacement for the smart boards. Uh, it may be somewhat teacher and or subject specific, but we'll see as time goes along. Right. Yeah, those, uh, of course, those are very inexpensive, and uh, they do uh, just add a lot of capability to especially the classroom and uh, what you can do uh, between the, the screen and the iPad and just the mobility of all that. So, yeah, that's that'll be great to be able to uh, deploy it that way. Okay, well, that's a great uh, update, Barrett. appreciate uh, all that information, and sounds like... Y'all are definitely making some headway there and uh, learning as you go, which is really part of the whole pilot program anyhow. So um, uh, that sounds like good uh, good information. So we'll keep an eye on how, how that continues to prog- progress. Um, we're going to move on to uh, Rick. I think Rick has some... Um, uh, a segment for us related to getting things done. And I think this is a, uh, a switcheroo because I believe you wanted to talk or you thought you might <laughs> want to talk about something different. But uh, seeing how you're a, an Apple stockholder, I guess the uh, news of the past couple of days have uh, has kind of uh, got you in a funk. So you changed your mind on us, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was going to talk about, you know, whether or not Apple needs to release a, a next big thing. But I, I didn't want to end the note weeping uh, over the, the stock. So yeah, yeah. I, I figured we could change it up a little bit. Good, good it's only it's only money, Rick. Yeah, just just money. It's, it's not like I bought any this summer or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh, don't get me started on that. Okay, oh so, sorry about that. Anyway. Yeah, let's just forget about that. Yeah, I, um, you know, getting things done has, has been on my mind lately. Uh, and for... For for those of you, uh, for those of our listeners who might not be familiar with uh, with that phrase, uh, it comes from the title of a book by David Allen, um, "Getting Things Done," and uh, it's it's a philosophy, it's it's a way of sort of accomplishing things. And his book was was mainly geared towards um, executives of companies, uh, you know, anyone who, or or really anyone in a company who just has an inordinate amount of responsibility uh, on their shoulders. Um, but the way that I like to describe it to people is just that getting things done is, is a system for managing all the tasks and the projects of all the different spheres of your life. And um, what's what's actually kind of ironic is that, and I, I didn't realize this until um, about an hour or so ago um, before we started recording even, um, but Apple is actually doing a sale right now on getting things done um, apps. So if you open up the Mac App Store, uh, or at least you know right now, uh, you'll see that one of the banners that they're running along the top of the featured is uh, a getting things done section. Um, and, and for whatever reason, they just call it getting stuff done. Um, but a lot of the apps that are built around this philosophy uh, are going to be on about a, a 50% sale. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe this is actually just Providence that, uh, that this came up rather than my fear of, of breaking down in the, in the stock <laughs> conversation. Um, but anyway, the, the whole thing that getting things done tries to solve is just, you know, without a system in place, you know, so, so many of us have a lot of tasks. We have a lot of different responsibilities in our lives. And, 
you know, our, our brains are, are, can only hold so much. And so as certain projects or things become urgent, other things start to fall off of our plates. And we, we inevitably become really bad at scheduling our own work. And we just start to break promises that we make to ourselves. You know, we say, you know, I, I really want to read this book or I really need to, you know, clean up my desktop or, you know, just something like that. Um, but then we just never get around to actually doing it. So the system seeks to uh, provide a way to get stuff done. Um, so uh, what I would like to do is just kind of talk about some of the different puzzle pieces of the the overarching philosophy of getting things done. Uh, and then I want to talk about some apps uh, that we can install uh, that can sort of help us along with this. Um, and I know that, that you guys have, at least Barrett, I know that you have a system in place. Um, Bill, I, I don't know if, if this is something that you do or not. Um, yeah, do, you, do you have any of these apps? I, I do, and I... Um yeah, I definitely try to follow um, that methodology and keeping track of things and uh, keeping my thoughts organized. Okay, cool, cool. So, you know, feel free to jump in and correct me where I make any mistakes or anything. Um, oh, yeah, one one more thing that I, I meant to mention before we even begin. Um, I Just to kind of make a confession here, I've actually never read David Allen's book, Getting Things Done. Uh, I've, I've just heard a lot of people talk about it. Um, but my wife is actually reading it right now, and she's she's a stay at home mom. Uh, we've got three little girls, and Molly, uh, my wife, she's in charge of a lot of things at our church. She's just got a lot of activities to sort of keep track of for our kids. Um, and she, you know, a, a couple weeks ago, just started expressing to me how frustrated she feels because if, she just feels as if she never has enough time to actually get stuff done. Uh, so I ordered the book for her, and she's actually about two thirds of the way through right now, and um, she's kind of she's actually becoming the getting things done um, expert on our family, and uh, she's uh, she's starting to coach and correct some of the things that I've been doing. So um, all that to say, this this isn't just for business professionals. Um, you know, this is a philosophy that can sort of go all over the place. So uh, here's here's kind of how it works. The, the idea is that you have some sort of inbox in place. And, you know, I, I prefer something digital, something that, that I can sort of punch into a computer, um, you know, in, in, a, in an app, for example, that, that is able to capture ideas and tasks and whatever. Um, but really, this could just be a, a place on paper um, where you just kind of jot stuff down. But the idea is that you have this inbox where... You don't necessarily have to organize things right away, but as things come to mind, you just jot them away in this inbox. And that's, you know, that's kind of just so that you don't, you don't stew on the whole concept, you know, for the rest of your day. And, you know, the, an example of this actually was last night as I was trying to fall asleep. This, I, I remembered of, of something that I needed to, to do. And so I, I reached for my iPad, which is right next to my bed because I was reading earlier, uh, and I just punched something quickly into my app. Um, I didn't organize it or anything. I just put it in the inbox. Um, and then this morning, you know, when I woke up, I, you know, one of the things that I do in the morning is, is go through my inbox, and I saw that task there. 
Um, and so then I, I filed it away where it needed to go. So the inbox uh, is just a good way to sort of express this stuff, get it out of your mind so that you can focus on on actually what's at hand. And in my example, what's at hand was falling asleep. Um, so I wanted to you know take care of that um, and not have this task sort of bouncing around in my brain. Um, so the next thing up is uh, the next sort of philosophy is due dates. And with due dates, you know, you, you assign these tasks a day in which, um, you know, in which you must get this done. Um, not every task actually needs a due date, um, but it's it's things like turning in homework at a certain time or getting something to a colleague, you know, whatnot, something like that. Um, that would be something like a due date. Um, and then the, the next thing up is going to be called um, projects. Now, uh, a project is defined by David Allen as um, any any task that you need to do that, that actually can be broken up into different pieces. Um, so let's say, for example, um, you need to paint your office. You know, painting the office actually, you know, that's that's multiple tasks. And so uh, in my system, you know, I might have a project that says, you know, pick out a paint color um, and then another one that says, you know, put blue tape all around the walls and the borders and whatnot. Another task can be going to Home Depot and buying the stuff. You know, the, another thing can be buying, um, you know, brushes and whatnot. So, you know, each one of those would be a different task that's a part of that project. Um so if if you're tracking with me, you know, those first three things that I mentioned are, aren't probably all that difficult to really grasp. You know, like we writing things down in an inbox is probably fine. Um, we all kind of understand due dates and projects also make sense. Um, but the two things, the, the two next things that I'm going to mention, I think are really what differentiates um, getting getting things done from a lot of other systems that are out there. Um, so the next philosophy or the next principle of getting things done is context. And a context is defined as, as either a a tool that you need to accomplish the task or a place where you need to be in order to get the thing done. So for example, a context might be your your home office. You know, that that would be the the task of painting the office. You know, like that would be the context of of one of those tasks, but yet the contact the context for buying paintbrushes that might be Home Depot because that's a place where you actually need to be. Um, other contexts could be like maybe um, your Mac, um, you know things like that. So that's that's the context. And then the next the last sort of puzzle piece to this, um, and then we'll start talking about apps. Um, but the next piece of this would be um, what David Allen calls the weekly review. And this is a, a time set aside where you actually go through your list of projects and just make sure that this is something that you still actually want to do. Um, and I've I found in the getting things done um, methodology is that sometimes I'll actually create a project and sort of set it on the back burner. And then after, you know, a couple of weeks go by, I actually was, 
you know, decide that this this actually isn't something that I need to do. You know, my the the color of my office is actually just fine. Um, and when I sort of put it in in context of all the other things going on in my life, um, you know, painting the office actually isn't that high of a priority. So, the weekly review is meant to curate and and make sure that that there's no um, projects and tasks in your system that um, are really draining you. So let me just pause right there. I want to, you know, I feel like I just talked for a long time. Um, do you guys have any questions or clarifications in, in terms of anything that I just said? No, I think that's a, a good summary of kind of the components of the getting things done um, method. And I think you're, you're right. You hit it on the head. You know, the whole idea is is to try to free up your mind to do what's important and to do the right next thing and uh these particular tools uh help you help you get that accomplished so i think you mm-hmm. summarized it well okay cool cool barrett do you have anything you want to toss in there no i agree i've actually read uh, alan's book a couple times i actually attended one of his uh seminars or conferences in Atlanta, uh, and uh, I use the basic methodology, although a little different software. So, mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Yeah, and I definitely want to hear about that in a minute. Um, so there, there's three apps on my list, and then Barrett, uh, uh, I, I know that you actually hit on something a couple episodes ago, um, so I, you know, I'll, I'll kind of want to hear how, how that sort of addresses this. Um, but the three apps that I want to mention are the built-in reminders app um, that, that Apple has on the iPad, iPhone, and uh, a Mac running Mountain Lion. Uh, and then I want to talk about an app called Things, uh, which, by the way, is usually $50 on the Mac, but right now it's on sale for uh, $25. Uh, and then OmniFocus, uh, which is kind of a, the, the big daddy of them all. So Reminders, Things, and OmniFocus. So Reminders comes on every iPhone. Uh, iPad and uh, new Mac, and this is just kind of a, a built-in to-do list uh, that they have, and and really it's it's super super simple. You know, it's in very elegant you know Apple um, way. You know, it's you, what it does is it has a default list uh, just called reminders, um, and then what you can do is you can create additional lists uh, with this app. Um, and so what I've, I've seen some people do is they'll, they'll create different lists for, let's say, you know, different projects. Uh, so going back to the paint the office thing, they'll have a, a paint the office separate list in the reminders program. Um, I've seen some people use reminder, like they'll create a different reminders list for, you know, let's say different grocery stores. So you might have a, a Whole Foods list or a, um, I don't know, you know, a Publix list and whatnot. Um, so reminders is very basic. Um, reminders supports uh, due dates. Um, reminders also rep- uh, supports location-based reminders. Uh, so you can go in there and create a task called get the milk, and you could have it set to remind you to get the milk when you arrive at Publix or you know whatever your grocery store is. So the re- the location-based remind or the re- location-based Reminders uh, are, are very, very powerful. The other thing that I love about the reminders on the iPhone especially is that it integrates with Siri. And so this means that you can fire up Siri on your iPhone and say something like, remind me at 5 o'clock to call Bill. Uh, and so when 5 o'clock rolls around, 
not just your iPhone, but because of iCloud, all of your devices will pop up and remind you and say, hey, it's time to call Bill. Um, so Siri um, is, makes it very, very powerful. Um, the location stuff also works with Siri, so you can say things like, when I arrive home, remind me to take out the trash. Um, and your iPhone will actually behave accordingly. As you pull into the driveway of your house, um, your iPhone and whatnot will pop up and say, let's, you know, let's remember to take out the trash. So that's reminders. It's free. Uh, it's, it's built into, to all of your Apple devices. Hey, Rick, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if, um, you are aware or just, uh, didn't want to mention it, but, uh, it's also, uh, capable of sharing lists with other people. Mm. And, uh, it's kind of a hidden feature. In fact, you can't, uh, share a list from your iOS device. You have to, uh, be on, uh, your, your desktop, your laptop, but, um, it does allow you to share with, uh, specific people. And mm-hmm. so that can kind of come in handy, like with a grocery list. Uh, I've got a grocery list that's shared with my wife. So when there's something that I run across that I want and, uh, I want her to know about it. And next time she goes to the store, I can just, uh, throw it into that reminder. And then she can't, uh, get after me next time for not having told her that I wanted some specific thing at the grocery store. So, uh, that's kind of a neat piece, uh, as well that's, um, not very, uh, obvious, but it certainly can be utilized, um, and is a pretty neat little feature of reminders as well. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, and in fact, the next two apps I, I mentioned don't have that feature. Um, so I, I've seen some people, they'll, they'll use the other two apps for their own personal, you know, stuff. But then when it comes to collaborating on things, they'll, uh, they'll, they'll collaborate on a, um, reminders list. So I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, so the next one up is an app called Things. And I would say that the, the main reason to get Things, uh, is because of its simplicity and it, it's got a really, uh, gorgeous user interface to it. I mean, it's, it's just a fun app to use because it looks so good. Um, and you can install this on your Mac and then they also have an iPad and an iPhone app. Um, and they, they actually built their own sync engine. So it doesn't use iCloud to sync. Um, they've got their own custom built solution and it's very, very fast. So if you add a task on your iPhone, uh, it'll appear on your Mac and whatnot almost instantly. Um, but here's here's what Things does. Things really attempts to um, a- attack your task list from a getting things done perspective. And what I mean by that is Things has projects uh, that you can create in it, which Reminders does not, uh, and Things supports um, contacts. Now, what Things calls them is it calls them areas of responsibility. And so, for example, um, you know, you can have an area of responsibility be your home, one maybe be your school, um, you know, another one be like church functions or whatever. And then you can actually uh, put projects within those areas of responsibilities. Um, so it's it's just a great way to, to keep things organized. Um, now, things, it, it does have its limitations um, in terms of sophistication. But really, again, the, the nice thing about things is its um, ease of use. The other thing I want to mention about things is in, in OmniFocus, the next app does this as well. Um, but what things will do is you can actually tell it to monitor 
one of your lists from the Reminders app, the Apple Reminders app. And what it will do is it will it will monitor that list, and if anything gets added to that list, things will automatically import it. And here's why that's important. Uh, say, for example, you add something to Reminders via Siri. Well, when the next time you launch things, it'll actually import any of those Siri-created tasks. Um, and that gets really powerful because if, if you want the, the power and might of things and OmniFocus, but you also want the ease of entry of Siri, you know, these, these apps support that. They're able to import, um, your, your, um, reminders list. So, uh, that's, that's things. Now, the next one up is OmniFocus, and this is kind of the, the big daddy of, of task management apps. Uh, it's also the most expensive. Um, OmniFocus on the Mac, uh, I believe last I checked it was $70. Uh, on the iPad, it's 40 and on the iPhone, it's 20 So it's, it's certainly not cheap. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not too difficult to come across people who, you know, absolutely love it. Um, and I... Uh, and one of those people who have given them money uh, just to, to sort of keep my sanity. Um, so OmniFocus, it, it's almost built from the ground up with getting things done in mind. And so it supports projects. It supports um, the inbox, you know, due dates. Uh, it also supports context. Um, but the other thing, too, that I really like about it is that it supports the weekly review, uh, and so it will prompt you to um, review those projects um, on its own, which which I find very very beneficial. So, OmniFocus, um, just some some advanced things that it can do. Uh, you can have projects within projects within projects. So, you know, th- and that's a unique feature I think of it. Um, you know, you can have these nested projects. So say, for example, one of your, your projects is, uh, let's, let's just say, you know, clean the house. Well, then you can have sub projects for each one of the rooms. And then within those projects, you can have individual tasks that need to be done. Um, so that gets really helpful, especially, you know, if, if your job involves, um, really elaborate, um, just very complex projects. Um, OmniFocus provides a great way to do that. The other thing that I love about OmniFocus is that, you know, not only can you have nested projects, but you can have nested contexts. Now, here's where that gets helpful. Um, I have a context called Mac. Uh, so anything that I need my Mac for gets put within that. But then I also have subcontexts for different apps. So I have a, an Aperture Context. I have a Safari context, a Mail context, a Pages and Keynote context. Um, and so because of that, I can just click on the Mac one and then, you know, I can just sort of scroll down to the, the Safari context and I can see all the things that I need Safari in order to get done. And so I can just plow through that very, very quickly. Um, I also have a context called Aaron's. And then within that context, I have the UPS store, the hardware store, the Apple store, uh, Wells Fargo, which is my bank, uh, the grocery store. Um, and so those are all subcontexts of errands. And so let's say, for example, I've got an afternoon uh, open for me to run some errands. I can just click on the errands context, and then real quickly I'm able to see which stores actually have um, tasks done or that I need to do underneath them. 
Um, so I really like that. Um, that seems to make uh, my life a lot easier. Now, here's kind of some killer features of OmniFocus. Um, remember how I said a, a context is like a, a location or a place that you need to be in order to get things done? Well, in, in OmniFocus, you can set an entire context. Uh, you can set a, a location-based reminder for that whole context. So, for example, the Apple Store uh, is, a, is a context of mine uh, in OmniFocus. And so whenever I need to buy something at the Apple Store, which for me as an Apple consultant is, is pretty frequently, um, whenever I even just drive into the parking lot of the Apple Store, uh, OmniFocus will send me a push notification and actually present me with a list of the things that I need to buy. Um, so I, I really like that. Um, I use that a lot. Um, you know, same thing with like the grocery store or whatever. Uh, and then here's another neat thing about OmniFocus Context is that you can actually as- assign um, Google searches for your contacts. And this is where it gets a little complicated to understand and, unless you've actually played around with this. But I've got a context called grocery store. And I have assigned to that context a Google search called just grocery. And so whenever I go by not just my local grocery store, but if I drive up to, let's say, Montana or whatever and drive by a grocery store, well, OmniFocus is going to pop up and be like, hey, man, you need to you need to buy some eggs. Um, so I really like that. I, I love that OmniFocus, you know, I, I'm not in charge of remembering when I need to get things, but OmniFocus does. Um, so the, the location-based searches are really cool, but also the Google search-based um, um Locations are pretty cool, too. Um, I know that's a pretty crude and quick run-through of getting things done, um, but it's it's something that I'm really excited about, and, and I've seen the way that uh, it's, it's streamlined, the way that my wife does things. Um, and and I'm, because Apple has made it especially a, a, a low um, entry point with the Reminders app, um, I'm starting to see a lot of non-geeks uh, get into this stuff as well. Um, so that's that's kind of my two cents. Again, I, I, f- I feel like, um, you know, I just talked a whole lot. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to hear, um, especially Barrett, because I know that you use um, Evernote for your getting things done system. Is, is that correct? Well, it is, although actually I, I switched from OmniFocus to Evernote, interestingly enough. Uh, mm-hmm. I used uh, OmniFocus for a couple of years, and I really like it. One of the great advantages of OmniFocus uh, uh, versus, for example, Things uh, is just, just its depth and its sophistication, which also can be confusing and complicated because there's a oh, steeper yeah. learning curve. But the problem I found with both of those and a few other apps was that because I have 200 employees – multiple projects with multiple layers of delegation across various departments and you know two campuses that sort of thing i have a lot of projects that also have elements where things have been uh delegated to other people and mm-hmm. where we have uh, projects that require online collaboration mm-hmm. and omnifocus at least at present does not uh enable you to share your task as such, right. or to collaborate with those projects. And so that was kind of a limiting factor. So what I was finding was that I had to use multiple applications to get things done. Well, yeah. that was counterproductive in that I was messing around with too many applications, and I was spending maybe not more time, but too much time managing my process rather than actually getting work done. 
Uh, so I thought there's got to be an easier way than this uh, while still carrying over some of the uh, principles of getting things done. So after doing a lot of research, I revisited Evernote, and their latest uh, upgrades are fantastic. The bottom line is I have found that I can implement the Getting Things Done program in, in its general principles with Evernote and have Evernote as my one central portal for all of it. Um, and uh, so it has to do with the way you can save your searches, you can tag things, etc. Now, the one thing it does not have is Evernote does not have a built-in reminder system. Mm, so if I yeah. create something in Evernote and, and I want to be reminded of it, it, currently Evernote does not have that capability. I'm hoping that they will develop it. But the thing is I can uh, copy the uh, the URL from a, a given note or notebook, whatever, mm -hmm. and in that case, then I can just add it to my calendar or I actually remind it, uh, add it to reminders. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm basically using Evernote and reminders, and reminders I use primarily for recurring tasks that I want to be reminded of on a monthly, weekly, annual basis, whatever the case may be, um, or if it has a specific deadline. But basically, uh, I use Evernote as my central portal. So any of these programs I think are good. It's just a matter of, of one's particular needs um, mm -hmm. in that. I think I think OmniFocus is the best of breed if they would allow collaboration and sharing of projects and delegated tasks, but so far they just don't. Right, right. There's uh, They're actually a about, gosh, it, it may have actually already happened this week, um, but they're about to debut the next major upgrade to it. Um, my my hope is that collaboration is going to be a part of it, but you know, I'm, I'm not holding my breath. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a complicated thing for a company uh, to pull that off well because there are so many different use cases that you can imagine. Oh, yeah. um, mm -hmm. Uh, so I basically use Evernote uh, and connect it with Google Docs, and then uh, when I need the reminders, I primarily uh, use reminders for that purpose. But every morning at 7 o'clock, I go through my waiting for items because mm -hmm. all these things are – here's the beauty. When I send an email that's delegating something, I tag the email, I blind copy Evernote, and it automatically goes into Evernote. And because it's tagged with waiting for, when I click on my saved search for waiting for, anything I'm literally waiting for from others – is in one location all the time, nice. uh, and so that worked greatly for me. Uh, great for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Rick. I think uh, the one flaw that I, I see in your um, in your methodology here is is having the Apple Store as a context. <laughs> I think I think if I had that as one of my contexts, I would uh, go broke really fast. But yeah, yeah. That that does. I imagine that know, kind I, of gets. I feel expensive. like I just make money in order to spend it at the <laughs> Apple Store. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's helping your stock, right? You're trying to contribute to your own investments. Is that the? Is that the? Yeah, deal? that's that's not a plan that's evidently working though. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, usually my Apple Store errands are, are picking up things uh, for other clients, and so. Um, you buy those for the. Clients? I mean, are you buying those? In which case, I'd be happy to be a client. <laughs> well, they they reimburse me though. That's that's the the sad oh. side. I knew there was a catch somewhere along the yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I will have to have you stop by my office though, because I have yet to get geofencing to work on my reminders. I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong, but I cannot get it to work. So, yeah, we maybe, should look at that. Yeah. All right. Well, we're kind of getting uh, a little bit past the top of the hour here, so let's uh, move on into our apps and following section and uh, quickly 
touch on um, some apps and Twitter picks of the week. And Barrett, I'm going to let you kick us off with that. Well, I'll tell you what, I think I'll skip the Twitter pick just in the interest of time uh, this evening, but uh, the app I would uh, strongly recommend uh, those using Macs and stuff is uh, one called Fantastical Calendar. Um, it's hard to describe except it is a beautifully designed application. Uh, it sits in the menu bar so you don't have to have your iCal open all the time, uh, and it basically consolidates not only all of the events and the calendar that you can look at, but also it, it pulls into it uh, your, the reminders that you have on your reminders app. Uh, and it uses natural language for uh, setting your appointments and that sort of thing. And again, it just hides away directly uh, in your menu. And they have a version for the iPhone, which is beautifully designed as well. But I would just recommend that our listeners take a look at Fantastical, uh, Fantastical Calendar, the Mac, the Mac and uh, their iPhones. Okay, Barrett, thank you for your app pick for this week. And real quickly, mine is something called Nitro HTML, and that is a little free app for the iOS devices, your iPhone or your iPad. And what it does is it uh, helps you make HTML signatures for your your email accounts. So if you want to get a little bit fancy with the signatures that are attached to your emails, you need to have a little HTML program on your iOS devices. And typically you can just uh, type up your HTML, but in order for it to work on your iPhone or your iPad, you have to render it. And this Nitro HTML program will do that rendering for you. So you basically type your HTML in that you want to use for your signature, and then you render it, and then you copy that rendered HTML to the uh, settings area for your uh, email signatures. So it's a, a neat little application. If you want to uh, make your signatures look really nice, that will help you out. So um, you may want to check that out if that's something you've been thinking about doing. And my Twitter pick is a fellow by the name of Larry Jordan, uh, at Larry Jordan. He is a video expert and I dabble with uh, creating and editing and uh, uh, working in the video world. And um, he's got a lot of great tips in Final Cut Pro and Adobe tools. So if you use those uh, products and you run into a problem along the way, you can probably find a tip or trick that will help you out and um, get you moving again. So I refer to him periodically as I'm working on projects, and he's just a good resource um, to have available. So you may want to uh, put look him up in Twitter and see if that's something uh, somebody you want to follow. So those are my picks for the week. Uh, what about you, Rick? Well, I, I feel like uh, my section was just kind of one big app pick. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, with with things and OmniFocus. Sure. Uh, I just I, I love those apps, and I think that especially now that uh, Things is on sale half off, uh, now's a good time to actually go after and, and pick them up. All right. That sounds good. I agree with you. <laughs> All righty. Then uh, let's wrap it up for this week, and um, appreciate everybody listening in. And don't forget to follow us on the Internet. You can uh, find me in a couple places um, on Twitter. I'm uh, at Bill Brazil. That's B-I-L-L-B-R-A-Z-E-L. 
E A L. And uh, my website is easy to remember. It's BillBrazil.com. So you can check me out on either one of those places and uh, and follow me there. What about you, Barrett? Where can we find you? I'd be at B Mossbacker uh, for Twitter. All right. And Rick, where where can we find you out there? Uh, you can either find me online at vmacinstructor.com. Uh, that's my business website. On Twitter, I am STWRZ. That's my last name, stores without the vowels, STWRZ. Okay. And, uh, again, if uh, you find this program interesting or have any comments, feel free to drop us a line. We'd uh, love to hear from you, and we appreciate you listening in. So uh, be sure to tell your friends about us as well, and um, we will be back with you in a couple of weeks. So um, until then, so long for now, and we'll talk to you next time.